Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, Born From Above. We continue our series as of late on today's broadcast on statements of sovereignty from John's Gospel. So far in the series, we've considered John chapter 6 and verse 37, which says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. We've looked at John chapter 10, a passage that speaks very clearly about the fact that Christ is the good shepherd of his sheep, and those who do not believe in him believe not because they're not of his sheep. But his sheep hear his voice, they know him, they follow him, he gives unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's a very strong statement of God's sovereignty and salvation. Last week, together, we considered John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and a portion of the high priestly prayer, a prayer by Jesus that acknowledges the fact that the Father has given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. Now, as we've said in the series, we're not taking this in any sort of chronological order through the Gospel of John. In fact, today we'll be considering a passage earlier than John chapter 6. We'll actually be in John chapter 3 today. But our purpose is just to consider these various statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John about the sovereignty of God in our salvation. And we sometimes refer to this as sovereign grace, salvation by the sovereign grace of Almighty God. Now, I appreciate very much the feedback that we've received on this series in particular. If you're a new listener and these concepts are foreign to you, then I encourage you to hear me out and listen, pray about this, and study these passages that I'm sharing with you. If you've never heard some of these passages before, then I'm thankful I can introduce them to you, and I hope that these statements of Christ, as we find them in this series, can help better chisel away what you believe about so many doctrines that the Word of God talks about. I hope that you're more precise after this series. If you study these passages and you very fervently disagree with me when you're done studying them, I'm happy because you studied the Word of God and you invested time in God's Word. So I challenge you as we go through this, if this is new to you, if these statements are new to you, if you've never heard them, then dig into God's Word, consider it, and let God be true and every man a liar. If I'm wrong on a passage and the Lord proves me wrong by His Word, then the Lord be glorified in that. Now, while I appreciate the feedback about this particular series, I also appreciate the general feedback that we've gotten 
as of late from radio listeners, from podcast listeners, and those who listen to us on Grace Alone Radio Network. I read every single letter that we receive, every single email, and I'm thankful for that contact. If you've thought about writing, then I encourage you to contact us here. You can go to flintriverpbc.org and find a variety of ways to get in contact with us. And if you're local, if you live near Huntsville, Alabama, then I invite you to come visit us for public worship each Sunday morning at 1030 at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church. We'd love to see you. I think you'd find a very warm welcome. It would be our honor to have you in church. And again, you can visit flintriverpbc.org for more information about how to contact us and also to visit us at the various worship opportunities that we have in our church. Today we consider a very crucial passage in John's Gospel regarding the new birth. And one of the strongest statements of God's sovereignty found in the Gospel of John. And this is John chapter 3 and verse 8. As we've done with the other passages in this series, we'll read the passage for you, give you a brief explanation, and then back up and spend some time getting to the passage so that you understand the full context of why this statement has been made, what went behind the statement being made by our Lord. We love to emphasize the fact that context in the Bible is so very important. The Bible is a book written in certain contexts, and you have to take into consideration who is speaking, to whom are they speaking, if it's a letter, who is being written to in that letter, what is the audience, what is the climate, what's happening, what situations are occurring that would cause that person to say or to write a certain thing. Context is so very important in the Word of God, and that's why we don't want to just proof text various passages that we think shares our point of view, but rather we want to give you the context of Scripture and understand these statements as they occurred in the context, the setting in which they were made. So we'll back up and consider what happened, what was said prior to this statement in the book of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 8 reads, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it lists, Jesus says. The wind blows where it chooses, you might say in a more modern way. You hear the sound thereof, you hear the sound of the wind, you feel the effects of the wind, you observe the wind blowing through the trees and through nature. But you can't tell where it's going, and you can't tell where it's coming from. It's out of your control. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus gives us a rule here, and we'll emphasize this in a moment. This is a rule. Everyone who is born again is born again the same way. And according to Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse 8, the moving of the Holy Spirit in the new birth, is the same way the wind blows through the trees in nature. In other words, it's out of our control. It's by the sovereign command of God. The one who controls the wind controls the new birth. So there's a parallel between the way the wind moves in nature and the new birth that people experience. And this is a rule that has no exception about the new birth. Let's now back up into this chapter and consider a little bit of the backstory. What led up to this moment, this statement said by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, and God incarnate. 
John chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. This man Nicodemus is, first of all, a Pharisee. And as you notice there, he's a ruler of the Jews. He's a man of great authority. He's a man of great religious instruction. He comes to Jesus by the cover of nightfall. Now, why would this man, Nicodemus, a ruler, a person of authority, come to Jesus under the cover of darkness? Why would he come to Jesus at night? Well, I believe that Nicodemus is actually a closet believer. And the reason that I say this is twofold. First of all, based upon what Jesus says about man's inability to see the things of the kingdom of God without the new birth, but also because when Jesus dies, Nicodemus is one of the people who came and took care of the Lord's body. You see this in the book of John chapter 19 in verse 39. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Then they take the body of Jesus after the crucifixion, wound it in linen clothes and spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So this man Nicodemus would actually be one of the two men who treated his body, wrapped his body in the grave clothes, and then placed him in the tomb. This man cares for Christ. This man is, at this point, a closeted believer, but a believer nonetheless. As a closeted believer, why does he feel the need to hide his faith? Why does he feel the need to come to Jesus under the cover of darkness, after the sun has gone down, when no one can see him as easily? You know, a lot of times people who do something that maybe they're not proud of, they're more inclined to do that in the dark where others can't see them. There's simply an exposure that happens when you're outside doing something in the middle of the day. People see you. They know where you are. They can clearly watch you. People do things they shouldn't do at night because they're ashamed. Well, at the same time, this man Nicodemus, because he's a closet believer, he's fearful of the other Pharisees. And so he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness and confesses that he knows that Jesus is a teacher who has come from God because no man can do the miracles that Jesus does except God be with him. Why would Nicodemus be afraid to profess his faith in Christ openly, his curiosity about Jesus, his desire to talk to him, his inward knowledge that something is different about Jesus than other people? Why be afraid? Why be fearful to express that in an open public context? Well, you see, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Pharisees were largely unregenerate people who were hostile to the preaching of Christ. They conspired and would eventually band together to help execute Christ. These people were wicked individuals. And so his peer group doesn't believe in Christ. His peer group is hostile to the preaching of Christ. This is a very toxic place for a believer. Jesus would rebuke these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, He said to the multitudes, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What they bid you observe, observe and do, but don't do after their works. They say and do not. They bind heavy burdens, 
but they do all their works to be seen of men. They love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplace, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. I'm thinking of so many celebrity preachers and gurus in our country today in Christianity who are well-known, but doctrinally unorthodox and cruel and calculated They love the title that they have. They love the doctor before their name. They love to include that they have an MDiv after their signature. But when it comes down to it, it's really a matter of position and authority. When you follow their track record long enough and you see all the pain and the agony they've caused in the lives of others, you realize that these people are not kind-hearted pastors of God's sheep, but they're evil. Jesus would go on to describe these Pharisees that... They are whited sepulchers. They're tombs that have been covered in jewels on the outside. Oh, it's adorned with precious things, but on the inside, it's dead men's bones. He goes as far as to call them a generation of vipers who cannot escape the damnation of hell in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 33. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness because he can't be open about his faith in Christ. Now, this is a great part of our message today to exhort every single one of us to not be ashamed, to be not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be bold enough to tell a hostile generation of Americans around us that condemn us even for simply believing what the Bible teaches about creation, about marriage, about sin, and about salvation. For us in our present day, we need this exhortation to not be ashamed, to not deny Christ before men, but to be bold in our faith, loving, yes, but also bold in our faith towards God in His Son, Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus says, Lord, we know, Master, that you're a teacher come from God, because no man can do the things that you do except God be with him, the miracles that you do. And just to remind you of a couple of weeks ago, as we considered together John chapter 10, There were other Jews who come to Jesus, and they say, If you're the Christ, tell us plainly, how long do you make us doubt? And Jesus said to them, The miracles I do, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you're not of my sheep. You see, they had seen the miracles, but they didn't believe. Nicodemus sees the miracles, and Nicodemus, and at least some of his cohorts, some of the people that he knew, they believed. There's a difference in Nicodemus and the Jews who were not of Jesus' sheep, who did not believe, even though they had seen the miracles. Remember that Jesus said of the wicked and adulterous generation that the only sign they would get, the only sign the wicked would get, is the sign of the prophet Jonas. What is the sign of the prophet Jonas? That as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so would Jesus be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and on the third day he would rise again, he would be victorious Basically, the only sign the wicked get about Jesus' true identity is the fact that they failed in killing him permanently because he was resurrected from the dead, that he is victorious over the worst they could do. That's the only sign they get, and it's a sign that shows his complete and total victory, a victory that declares him to be the Son of God with power and their utter failure in withstanding him. That's the only sign the wicked's going to get no matter how many signs they were given, no matter how many miracles they saw, they're not going to believe. Even if one rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. But here, Nicodemus is a man who knows some things about Jesus. Again, Nicodemus is different 
than many of his counterparts as Pharisees. Jesus says unto him in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, these are passages of Scripture that are often misquoted and even misapplied in our modern present day and age. I want to teach what Jesus is explicitly saying here. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Master, I know, I know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do the things that you're doing except God be with him. Nicodemus sees some things about Jesus, doesn't he? What does Jesus say in reply? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of the Spirit of God, you lack the eyes to see and the ears to hear spiritual things. You and I, if we are yet natural men, we cannot see the things of the Spirit of God. Now, this is a rule with an exception, much like what we talked about with John chapter 6. The rule is that men cannot see the kingdom of God. The exception is that unless they're born again. Now, please be very careful with this language. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' intent here, he's not teaching, though it would also be true, except a man be born again, he will not go to heaven one day. That's how it's often reworded. But notice that's not what Jesus says right here. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, we have been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Remember, we have a kingdom which cannot be moved, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. That is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, at his second coming, delivers up the kingdom to his Father. All this is Scripture. All of that is Scripture. Every statement I just made is biblical, taken directly from the New Testament. And so Jesus here is not saying, except a man be born again, one day he can't go to heaven. He's saying, except a man be born of the Spirit of God, born again, quickened, regenerated, translated, he's not going to perceive spiritual things. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven in the world. An unregenerate sees no need for the church. An unregenerate sees no need for the gospel. An unregenerate sees no need in the cross. An unregenerate sees no need for redemption because, you see, he's an unregenerate. He says in his heart, there is no God. He doesn't believe in the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe that sin exists. His morality is not rooted and grounded in Scripture. He doesn't have a conviction of sin from the inside out. The laws of God are not written upon his heart. He is darkened. He is dead in sin, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Prior to salvation, prior to quickening, prior to the new birth, please understand, we are not merely sin-sick. We are dead in trespasses and in sins. D-E-A-D. We are corpses. We are deceased in sin prior to the new birth. And so the rule is no man can see the kingdom of God, spiritual things. The exception is, except he be born again. Now, this statement is so very similar to what the Lord Jesus said that we considered in a previous message in this series. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Unless we've been born of the Spirit of God, we see no value in Christ. We don't know him. We've not been drawn into a relationship with him unless we've been drawn of the Father. And if we've not been drawn of the Father, the gospel is foolishness unto us. Where do I get that? Well, the book of 1 Corinthians. 
chapter 1, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things. An unregenerate cannot and will not see the kingdom of God. He can't. He doesn't see spiritual things. He lacks the eyes to see. He lacks the ears to hear. This is why Jesus so often in his ministry would say, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Because unless God has quickened you, unless you've been born again, well, you can't see, hear, or perceive the spiritual things that we so enjoy in the gospel of Christ. If there was any doubt about it, listen, regeneration precedes faith. Belief is a result of birth. Life precedes action. And before we are quickened by God, well, frankly, we lack the ability to follow after him. Now, Nicodemus is confused by this. If you had never heard the concept of being born again, what does it mean to be born again? Well, born from above. If you had never heard this concept, you might be confused too. And so we're quick to beat up on Nicodemus here, but his questions are authentic. And we like to point out there's no such thing as a bad question. If you have a question, ask the question, unless it's some sort of blasphemous sacrilege. If there's a legitimate question that you have and you need clarification, then ask the question by all means. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb the second time and be born? Paraphrasing his response, and the answer to that is no, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't saying that you need to be physically born a second time. That wouldn't be possible anyway. What he's saying is you need a birth from another source. In other words, you have physical life because you have been physically conceived and born into the world. To see the kingdom requires spiritual life, and to have spiritual life means that you have to be born of God from above. This is a very simple teaching. Where does spiritual life begin in an individual? It begins at their spiritual birth. The same with physical life. Now, to reference what we're going to say in a moment from verse 8 of this passage. Did you choose to be conceived? The answer to that question is no. Did you choose to be born of your mother into this world? The answer to that question is no. You didn't know anything when you were an unborn baby, and before you were conceived, you knew nothing anyway because you didn't exist. This parallels the new birth. Remember this usage of the word birth and born. This is intentional. It's communicating something to us. Jesus answers Nicodemus when he's confused about this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus is answering Nicodemus' question. No, this isn't another physical birth. That which is born of water is water. That which is born of flesh is flesh. A birth in addition to water birth is required. And that doesn't mean that if you pass in infancy, then you're not going to be able to go to heaven. That's not the point there. In saying, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, Jesus is saying that there is a type of life, a type of birth that is needed in addition to 
being physically conceived. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Your flesh birth was a water birth. When a woman's water breaks, a person is born into the world. But this is a different type of birth from a different source. It is to be born from above. Now, Nicodemus is marveling at that. He's confused. And after this statement would be made, he would ask Jesus, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Art thou a master in Israel, and knoweth not these things? You claim to be a teacher and a ruler of the Jews, and you don't even know these things? What sort of a teacher are you, Nicodemus? If I've told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus is not understanding what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus explains how this new birth is going to be accomplished in verse 8 of this passage. Look at verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, that's one of the passages that are often misquoted. Jesus doesn't say, Marvel not that I said unto thee, thou must be born again, but ye must be born again. The ye there is plural, and this hails back to what Jesus said, except a man generic, in a general sense, any man, be born again, he cannot see or enter into the kingdom. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye men, plural, must be born again to what? To see the kingdom. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Basically what Jesus is saying is, don't marvel at this, let me tell you how this works. And how the new birth works is the same way that the wind blows. As the wind blows, so is the new birth. How does the new birth parallel the blowing of the wind? The wind, as it blows, though we feel it, is out of our control. Who controls the wind? Well, the disciples answer that question. As Jesus is walking on the water and he rebukes the wind and the wave, they say, does not even the wind and the waves obey him? God controls the wind. Jesus has sovereign power over the wind because Jesus is God. The wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind in nature does according to what God has commanded it to do. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The new birth is under the sovereign control of Almighty God. Now, can you go outside and speak the wind to another location? No. Can you cause the wind to blow on you by speaking or willing it to be? No. Likewise, it is with the new birth. We do not control the new birth in its timing, in our power to affect it. We are powerless. All we can do is feel the effects of the new birth and witness the effects of the new birth in the lives of others, just as we do the wind. The new birth and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the new birth is just as the blowing of the wind through nature. This is one of the strongest statements of God's sovereignty in salvation, in the Word of God. We have a hymn in our hymnal that I think would be fitting to read. It's number 579 in the hymnal that we have in our church, and it's entitled The Blessed Spirit. It reads as follows, The Blessed Spirit, like the wind, blows when and where he please. How happy are the men who feel the soul-enlivening breeze. He forms the inward mind afresh, subdues the love of sin. He takes away the heart of stone and plants his grace within. The blessed spirit in the new birth blows when and where he please, just as the wind. By the way, the most famous verse in the Bible is John chapter 3 and verse 16. Why is it then that there are people in the world who do believe, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. There are people that believe, because these people have been born again. Because prior to birth, well, they couldn't see the things of the Spirit of God. This is also why he that believeth not, as in verse 18, is condemned already. Why would he be condemned already? Because he's not yet born of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is sovereign in the new birth, and the birth enables the belief. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.